welcome to On Your Own Terms. This is a place where we learn together what it takes to change the world on our own terms and in our own special way. Our guest today is Marsha Dawood. I met Marsha at Heroic Public Speaking, HPS, where we were both learning to create a speech that will inspire and delight our audiences and teach them about something that is near and dear to our own hearts. When I heard Marsha speak for the first time, I was simply blown away because I've been curious about the idea of what I called socially responsible investing for quite a long time. And as I told Marsha, the first time I asked my financial advisor about socially responsible investing, he literally scoffed at me. It really hurt my feelings and offended me. <laughs> he said, oh yeah, you can do it, but you won't make any money. Well, I just hushed up at the moment, but I have never given up on that idea of thinking about ways that I could invest my money that would actually be good for the world and put my money where my mouth is <laughs> in something that I care about. So when Marsha started talking about angel investing, I thought, oh my goodness, I have found someone to answer my questions seriously without scoffing at me and without making me feel like a little tiny person who didn't know anything about what I was talking about or was perhaps considered to be naive. Marsha is knowledgeable, she is passionate, and I cannot wait for you to hear her change-making story. Today, she agreed to talk with us using our Blue Roads Changemaker Framework, Homegrown Solutions for a Patchwork World. So you will hear her talk about homegrown Marsha, where she got her big ideas about angel investing and what she's doing with those ideas now to make the world a better place. Welcome, Marsha. I'm thrilled that you're here, and I cannot wait to share your story with our audience on your own terms. I grew up in the eastern side of Pennsylvania, right outside of Reading in a town called Wymissing, and then I went to the University of Pittsburgh, and I lived in Pittsburgh for about 25 years. And when I met my husband several years ago, we ended up having to move quite a bit. So in the last 10 to 12 years, I've moved like six times, uh, first from Pittsburgh to New York and back and then to Dallas and then to San Francisco. And then now I live in Charlotte. So people are always like, where do you live nowadays? They can't quite keep track, but it has been a really interesting journey. You know, I started my career, I was in corporate America. I worked for Kaplan Education for almost 17 years and it was great. I was in sales and marketing for the first 10 years and then operations for the last seven. I did everything from, I was in charge of compliance and helping to make sure that the schools were doing everything they needed to do in order to pass their compliance and, and different accreditation requirements. So I did a lot of that. Um, it was great, but I kind of woke up one day and said, I've been doing the same basic thing, I had different jobs, but basically the same working for the same company for an awfully long time. You know, what, what do I really want to do when I grow up? And so age 42, I went back to school and got an MBA and kind of set out on a path that was a little different. And because we had to move a lot, I tried to take advantage of that and learn a little bit more about what was going on in these different cities that we were living in, mainly related to entrepreneurship and female empowerment, female founders and the things that they were trying to do. 
So back while I was still working at Kaplan in uh, 2011, I was introduced to angel investing and I had no idea what that was. I remember asking somebody who invited me to a meeting, what's angel investing? Uh, no idea. And come to find out that you know, it's basically people can put some money into private companies and be able to help them grow. And for a long time, people believed that this was mainly for rich people, that you had to have a lot of money. Uh, you had to have a lot of disposable money that you could afford to lose, which is true because it is a risky asset class. But the, the SEC changed the rules back in 2016. So not that long ago, only a little over five years ago, they changed the rules so that anyone can invest in, in a private company now for as little as $50 through what's called crowdfunding. So that kind of changes the game. And when we're talking about change and the change that we want to see in the world, it is really important that we're thinking about that from a standpoint of how can we affect that? And, and it really comes down to our money, not just making investments. I think it would be great if every single person on the planet became an angel investor, but it's really even more than that. It's, it's aligning with your values. It's shopping where you know that the people who are the owners are going to benefit something like shop women owned businesses only, or people of color businesses only, you know, things like that. Just being conscious of where you're shopping, being conscious of where you're banking. There are places, there's a lot of different lending institutions nowadays that will help people with loans that are maybe not able to get them from other um, kind, of, kind of your normal, um, normal type of financial institutions. And so there's a lot of power within our money. Now that the rules have changed and anybody can become an investor in a company, I think people need to take a minute and sit and think about what are the things that you really care about? What is it that you would like to see change in the world? Maybe it's something that's very close to you in your own neighborhood or in your own region, or maybe it's something big like climate change or gender equality or racial equality. All of these things can have an impact when just one or a small group of people get involved. And I think a lot of people might sit and think, well, I'm, it's, it's, I'm just me, you know, I'm just one person and I don't have that much money and I, I don't really know what I can do, but there are a lot of things that people can do. And I think it's just a matter of kind of figuring all that out. So on my journey, I started to look at these different ecosystems, entrepreneurial ecosystems, meaning that who's, who has businesses in the area that are very entrepreneurial. This was everything from, you know, I lived in New York city. So I got to see a lot of that. I lived in San Francisco. Of course, those are the two biggest in the country, in our country anyway, really well, Silicon Valley, really the world. But then I also lived in Dallas. I lived in Pittsburgh and those cities aren't the first place that people think of when they think of entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurs are everywhere. And I think it's just a matter of figuring out where they are. And if it aligns with what you care about, as far as seeing change, then you can help them. And sometimes it's, it doesn't always have to be about money. It can also be about mentorship time. There's so many things that different people bring to the table as far as their expertise and their backgrounds. And that can be super helpful to a, a startup company. I mean, even thinking about something like a bookkeeper, 
bookkeepers are so, so valuable. And unfortunately, they're a lot of times not the highest paid profession, but somebody who had that kind of a skill set, that would be so invaluable to an early stage company. And they would benefit so much from just like one or two hours a month that somebody would be willing to donate. So I really think that there's a lot that people can do. Those are just a couple of examples. You know, I really think it comes down to what each individual person cares about and what they really want to put their time and their money to try to solve, if, if solve is even a good word for it. But my background is my mother was diagnosed in 2016 with ALS and it's a horrible disease. There is no treatment. There is no cure. Part of what I talk about is that charities are a great thing. They really are. They're amazing. The ALS Association did some amazing things for my family, but they did not have a cure or a treatment because they just don't have that kind of funding. If you think about all of the charitable contributions made in the U.S. in 2020, that was only $471 billion. Now that seems like a lot of money, but that's only 1% of the value of the U.S. stock market. So when you're talking about comparisons, for-profit companies are where people are going to see bigger changes. So that led me on a path that, okay, ALS is not a very common disease and only about 30,000 Americans are affected by it a year. So it's not something that gets a lot of attention like the cancers and the heart associations of the world. So what I started to do was look at what were some of the sister diseases and actually ALS, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's are very similar types of diseases with that neuromuscular transmission problem. I had found a company really when I lived in Pittsburgh, even before my mom was diagnosed called Cognition Therapeutics. And they are, they were working and still are working on an Alzheimer's drug, but they're also working now on a Parkinson's drug as well. So the light bulb started to go off that if I could help a company like this, where I knew this, the chief science officer, who was really the, the brains behind the science, I knew the CEO at the time, they've now changed out the CEO. And so, you know, maybe this was where I could start to see a change could be made. And so I, I did, I ended up becoming an angel investor in that company and that company ended up raising, oh, a significant amount of money from angels. Now keep in mind, angel investments are usually, you know, unless you're doing the crowdfunding thing, which I talked about earlier, but if you're just straight up an angel investor going right directly into the company, the minimum check sizes are usually somewhere between 10 and $25,000. And so that's a lot of angels to have to make up millions, you know, so you'd have to get a lot of people, but this company was able to do that. And, and early on, they were able to raise about $30 million from me, just from angel investors without any other venture capital money, which is kind of unheard of. So they did an amazing job with that, that they were able to attract a lot of grant money. And that's super important to really be able to propel a company like that, not to get into a lot of sciencey stuff, but any type of medical improvement, whether it's a device, a drug or anything like that is extremely capital intensive. They need so much money and so much time, a drug, it can take 10, 15 years to come to market. I mean, it is just, it takes a long, long time. So still on the journey with cognition therapeutics, they are in clinical trials right now. They're making all kinds of presentations. You can look them up on the web and see the different 
types of science that they are, are working on, which is all very interesting. But that's kind of how I felt like, oh, I can start to see a change. I had no idea until I started to do this, how little funding goes to women, like less than 5% a venture angel money goes to women. Now with angels, it's gotten a little bit better. And I am currently the chair of the board of the Angel Capital Association, which is the professional society of angel investors here in the US. And we do a report every year where we try to take data from all of the angel groups that are in the US and figure out you know, what's really going on, how much money is being invested, what are they investing in? And the numbers for women have improved. And actually the number for people of color, at least early on, you know, for first time rounds in 2020 did improve. So we're moving the needle in the right direction. It's just super slow, but angels are probably just from our data anyway, looks like they're moving a little quicker. If you look at the overall venture capital space, very, very slow, less than 5% to women and less than 1% to people of color. So there's a problem when it comes to diversification, you need that in a business. You, and it's been proven time and time again, I have all kinds of studies I could give you that show that revenues are higher, expenses are lower when you have diversity. And, and it doesn't always have to be, oh, you're black and you're white. I mean, that's all good. We need racial diversity, but we also just need diversity of thought, you know, how people were educated, where they were raised, where they've lived. All of those things can add a different flair, a different flavor. Sometimes I, I used to think when I was working in corporate America that I was like working with the same people as me. You know, we went to the same kind of schools. We lived in the same kind of background and we weren't getting anywhere because we had nobody else in the table, like giving us their perspective. So I just think it is super important in my journey, my personal journey of thinking, okay, well, yes, I would love to find a cure for ALS, even though it's unfortunately too late for my mom, but I really would love to see us have more balance and, and more equity when it comes to female founders and founders of color. So how do you do that? I think, you know, time and time again, it is being proven, although there aren't enough studies yet. There isn't enough information, but it's getting better that women in particular, I'll just use them as an example right now, as a group, of course, I'm, I'm now paraphrasing, which I don't you know mean to do, but in general, the studies have shown that women tend to be a little scrappier. Their expenses are lower. They can push revenues higher. And it's also been said that, well, maybe they aren't growing as big a companies, or maybe they don't have access to the same kind of things that men do. And I will say that that's probably true still to this day. I mean, think about how long women have been in the workforce. It hasn't been that long when in the grand scheme of, of you know, the history of life and man, you know, <laughs> women have really only been in the workforce since World War II. It, it's a lot to try to get that equality to be super matched up. However, I do think that we're seeing more and more of that. And we're going to continue to see that women are, and people of color have had to be scrappier. They've had to use their resources and stretch them farther. And it's going to force all businesses to kind of start to do that too. They're gone are the days on the golf course when guys would just text each other, Hey, will you give me $250,000? I mean, like, 
I think, I think those days are over and there's more now that's being done. And, and even the types of companies I'm seeing, they're so interesting. And the things that people, these entrepreneurs are coming up with, the things that they're doing, the things they're inventing, it's really fascinating. I, a lot of times I'll just watch these entrepreneurs kind of go through their pitch and, and talk about their company. And I'm always just so fascinated at what they are doing, the things that they come up with and the way that they're growing their business and they're getting so many other people on board. It's just, it's really inspiring. I wish that more people would get involved on the investing side. And I'm really so happy that the rules have changed so that more people can get involved. And there's still rules in the SEC separate from that called an accredited investor definition. It means that you have to have a certain amount of wealth or net worth in, or wealth or income in order to invest. And while that definition still stands, it doesn't mean that younger people or people who don't meet that definition can't be involved. So, you know, with crowdfunding, now anybody can be involved. You don't have to meet that definition, but you can also get involved, as I said, just by with time. You know, a lot of times people want to donate to charity, but they don't have money. So what do they do? They volunteer. So it's the same exact thing. But if we don't start to help these companies more, especially since they are such a large part of what can make a huge difference down the road when it comes to change. If we don't start that cycle and get those companies more help, they end up not making it. Unfortunately, probably at least five, if not seven out of 10 companies don't make it from the earliest stage. And that that's disappointing. And in a lot of the cases, they do just run out of money. But I will say that sometimes they run out of money because they didn't have the right bookkeeper or they didn't know what they were doing, you know, related to like some piece of the business. So if they had that expertise, you know, kind of wrapping back to what I, the example I used earlier, it, it really does make a difference. And that could make the difference between a company surviving and a company not surviving. And then there's all kinds of external economic factors like, you know, oh, a global pandemic sometimes come along and really disrupt this entire industry. I had several companies that I know of that didn't make it through COVID, others that thrived and others that kind of limped along and struggled and they're still struggling, but they're, they're coming out of it. So there's a lot out there. If more people got involved, it would make the company stronger and it would kind of bring all of those things that we care about, all the things where we do want to see change, it will help to elevate that. I have a question that's kind of just for my own edification. You said that it used to be that only people that had a certain amount of money were allowed to invest. That's an actual rule within the system, not just limited by the fact that I can only spend what I can out of my family budget. You're saying there are actually rules about that. Can you tell us any more about yeah. yeah, the SEC has a rule. It's called the accredited investor definition. And it basically states that unless you have $200,000 in income, 300,000, if you're including a partner or $1 million in net worth minus your home, you are not able to invest in an early stage company that is not publicly traded. So okay. if you think about a company like Apple, you know, they're traded on the public markets 
they are held, all of the companies trade on the public markets are held to very strict standards on financial reporting and when they report things and, you know, all the rules about insider trading and making sure that that doesn't happen. I sometimes get a, a front seat view to that because my husband's um, in a public company as a CFO, but with the accredited investor definition, I think it was more of a way to keep people who didn't really have the discretionary income from looking at something and saying, hey, that looks really cool and, and not having all the information because the SEC cannot, they don't have the bandwidth, you know, it's hard enough with the public markets, they certainly don't have the bandwidth to regulate everything that's happening in the private markets. So if people want to get involved, tell us any ways that we can support you in your work or your bigger mission and how might we reach out and get started to do both of those things, support you and your bigger mission. Great. So probably the number one thing I would say is, like I said, I'm the chair of the board of the Angel Capital Association, and we are basically a professional society of other angel investors. What we really want to do is educate people. So we have an educational program. Anybody can go through it. Uh, you don't have to be accredited. It's not super expensive. There's all kinds of different classes. And I actually have a free webinar that I do pretty often called Demystifying Angel Investing, where I talk about all the things that angel investing is and isn't so that people kind of have a better understanding because it is a little bit hard to demystify sometimes. So there's that. There are different places. I would say if people are really interested, there's a, a website called republic.com and it will allow you to take a look at these crowdfunding companies. And these, this is where you could invest for as little as $50 and uh, figure out some different companies you might be interested. You can just follow along and just watch. You don't have to invest in order to take a look at them. So there's a couple different places like that, that you can start. I would say, you know, just start by learning a little bit more. I have a podcast called the angel next door, where I'm talking about just how people became angel investors and why they do it. If people are doing it because they think they're going to get this great financial return and they're going to invest in something and it's going to be the next Google and they're going to get like, you know, hundred times their money that's likely never going to happen. So <laughs> I would, I would absolutely say, do not think that. Okay. hundred percent. No, but if you like the idea of figuring out a way that you can help create change in the world, if you like the idea of creating jobs, because that's what these companies are doing, they are creating jobs, lots and lots of jobs. The next economic output for different regions based on what an angel group can do. And we're talking like just a handful of people. It could be even 10, 20, 30 people. The amount of economic output that they can have in their region is huge. So that's all just the multiplier effect. Angel investor versus venture capitalist. Let the rap battle begin. I'm here to tell you, hon, about my funds and their games. I got so many investments, I'm just making it rain. My LPs, they love me. I'm on fund number 10. That's more than your group will ever have in AUM. The startups line up, itching to see who gets to pitch. Graphs with hockey sticks showing how we're all getting rich. We pick the best, it's a quest, and it's really quite fun. Our dollars are smart, it's an art. 
Your money's just dumb. That's not nice. Very mean. You seem quite cold-hearted. We are angels. We rise up. We will not be outsmarted. We are mentors, advisors, networking gurus. You put money in. I'm not sure what else you do. By the way, our checks come from our own accounts. You use other people's money. We're the ones with all the clout. We provide capital to companies at the earliest stages. We are simple, compromising. Your term sheets are pages and pages. We create structure and trust and build up the culture. You're predatory investors. That's why your capital is called vulture. You angels, you're so cute. And your checks are so small. You make decisions by seeing what sticks to the wall. You think you provide value and rise up the best, but we had to step in. You created a mess. How many of them are you? The cap table keeps growing. How could this happen without you even knowing? We bought you out now. We no longer need your approval. Now step aside while we build the next Google. Oh, right. Big tech. That is your history. What's the matter? Our angel world's a little too risky. We provide vision and value. Founders think we're heaven sent. You know your companies? We funded them first, over 90%. We are mighty in numbers. We don't need you to save us. We're the baddest, the boldest, and literally the bravest. I'm an angel. You're the devil. You just think you're the hottest, but you're nothing without me. I'm an absolute goddess. Thank you, Marsha. Uh, so much wisdom there and so much inspiration and so many great ideas of, for how we could get started with angel investing or investing our time as well as our money in the things that mean something to us, the ways that we want to make the world a better place. I had a special delightful treat a couple of weeks back when I saw what you uh, put together with the help of our mutual friend, Lou Bortone. And this video explaining the difference between angel investing and venture capitalists was fascinating, delightful, humorous, and a whole different side of Marsha that I had never seen. So I'm thrilled that we have time in our broadcast today to share it with you. And I'm hoping people will look it up and share it with many of their friends as well. And I'm also hoping that people will follow your work on LinkedIn, they will look to your website and to the places, the resources that you have recommended today for them to look up to get started in their own special way, perhaps in their own small way, to invest their time, their money, their expertise, whatever it is they have to give to make things better in an area that they are likewise feeling passionate about. Thank you so much for your time today, Marcia. I look forward to continuing to follow your work and finding my ways to invest myself in the things that I believe in. Next week on Your Own Terms, we will have a special guest that is going to talk with us within the education arena. And I met this special guest through a mutual friend in another women's organization called Fem City. In the meantime, feel free to go to my website, blueroadseducation.org, and download your free copy of the book, Changemaker You. It's a summary of our Changemaker framework that we use here every week on On Your Own Terms, because it summarizes the 16 characteristics or attributes that all changemakers have in common. I hope you'll download my ebook. I hope you'll follow my work. 
And I hope you will join us all on the Changemaker journey on your own terms. And until next week, may you be grounded in your beingness, guided in your doingness, generous in your connectedness, and inspired in your reflectiveness so you can change the world on your own terms. I'm Patty Talbot. I'm always learning, and I know you are too.